Hey, my friend, welcome along to the Medicinal Chef's Nutrition Nuggets podcast, helping you get clarity on nutrition. I'm Dale Pinnock, the Medicinal Chef, best-selling author, nutritionist, and creator of Nutrition Coaching Monthly. Every week here in the podcast, I'm going to be answering your questions and discussing key topics around the field of nutrition to help give you clarity and to expand your knowledge. Hey folks, how's everyone doing? Hope everyone is well. So here we are in the second week of January and it's about this kind of time when everyone starts falling off the wagon a little bit. Loads of people go into the new year with great intentions. They're going to change this, they're going to do that and so often they kind of fall off the wagon. But what I want to talk about today is three things that anyone can do to actually improve their health via nutrition. Okay, three nutritional keys to better long-term health. Now, the one question that I seem to get asked over and over again in this line of work is, okay, with all this conflicting information and different opinions and conflicting contradictory advice, what should we what should we be doing? What is the perfect diet? What is the ideal way to eat? Well, anyone with any kind of integrity should always give the same answer, and that answer is we have not got a clue. We really don't. I mean, the evidence is still in its infancy. Nutrition is a very frustrating science to carry out with any kind of um, accuracy in the short term. But one of the things that we do know quite a lot about is how our modern way of eating is actually destroying our health. So my perspective is, until we know, until we know different, until we've got a better idea of what is a more optimal human diet, let's look at the way in which our modern diet is killing us and try and do the opposite. The chances are, until we know better, that we're going to be hedging our bets as much as we can. If we're avoiding the aspects that are actually damaging our health, then we're probably on the road to better health. And I think that this can really be boiled down to three key areas. Those key areas are blood sugar balance, fatty acid balance, and nutrient density. Okay, it sounds simplistic, but these three key areas can have an enormous, wide-reaching impact upon many aspects of our metabolic health particularly. So let's go through these one at a time, and hopefully this will kind of help you to see where I'm coming from with this. So start with the first one, blood sugar balance. There's no getting away from the fact that the macronutrient composition of our modern diet has changed drastically. The macronutrients, these are the big three, proteins, fats, carbohydrates. It started around about the late 50s, but then really gathered momentum in the 80s. We were told for a long time that saturated fat was the devil. This is the thing that's going to kill us and give us heart disease and cause everything to break down. When this theory came to light, when these ideas came to light, we were told to drop the saturated fat and instead move over to the quote-unquote heart-healthy vegetable oils, but then to reduce total fat and to build our diet around more starchy foods. You know, cut down these saturated animal fats and instead build your diet around these heart-healthy starchy foods. And what happened is that we ended up eating way more carbohydrates, and refined carbohydrates particularly, than at any other point in history. And what was supposed to have actually benefited our health created chaos. And here's why. 
When we consume something starchy, or any foods really, any foods will cause our blood sugar to rise. As blood sugar rises, the body responds to that by secreting the hormone insulin. Insulin binds to cell receptors and lets the cells know that there is energy available for use. When insulin binds to the receptor, it opens a little doorway on the cell called a glucose transporter. The glucose transporter takes in the sugar. The door closes again and the cell uses that sugar, that glucose, to create ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the fuel source that the cells run on. That's all well and good. And if your diet's healthy and, and you eat something that's particularly sugary, that process will take place. Not a problem. The thing is... It, Cells can only take in so much energy in one single sitting. They get full. They can reach capacity. Now, in normal circumstances, this doesn't happen. You know, this, this constant flux of blood sugar rising and glucose entering the cell is happening all day and it's not really an issue. But with our modern way of eating, where we're building our diets so much around, around starchy carbohydrates, things can start to go wrong. Now, if blood sugar is constantly being pushed up to very, very high levels, which is the case when we're living on these kinds of foods, then very quickly the cells reach their cutoff point. They get full and they don't let any more glucose in. Once we've actually reached that point, and if blood sugar's still high, it still has to be dealt with. Blood sugar that's too high or too low is potentially life-threatening. So the body has very, very particular ways and very, very effective ways at actually managing this situation. So if the cells are full and blood sugar is still high, then other mechanisms kick in that allow us to deal with the situation and get blood sugar back within normal ranges. So the next thing that happens is that this excess sugar, once the cells are full and the doors are closed, this excess sugar gets sent to the liver. And it then gets converted over into something called triacylglycerol, otherwise known as triglycerides. This is basically you know, types of fatty acids that can be stored in fat tissue, so it can be stored as fat. Several things start to happen when this occurs. Firstly, obviously, we have the capacity to gain weight, and this is where you see that centralised weight gain, that kind of tyre around the tummy that no matter how much time you spend on the treadmill just doesn't seem to shift. So there's increased risk of weight gain. But these triglycerides have to be transported to the fat tissue via the circulatory system. And when they're in circulation, they can send up LDL cholesterol. They can cause the LDL cholesterol that is actually manufactured to become small and dense, which is more atherogenic, meaning it's actually more likely to cause cardiovascular disease. And also these triglycerides can oxidize and cause inflammatory damage to the endothelium, the inner lining of the blood vessel, which sets the stage for cardiovascular disease. I mean, we're going to be talking about inflammation when we get on to the next point in a bit more detail. But already you can see that this simple thing of blood sugar being too high can create all sorts of metabolic issues. Now, in the long term, if you're continuing to follow this pattern and blood, blood sugar is continually being pushed up into extremes, then... Yes, you've got this increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Yes, you've got this weight gain. But then think about what the next stage of events is going to be. After a while, because your body's secreting loads and loads of insulin in response, the cells are going to start to ignore the insulin signal. They're going to start to smell a rat. They're going to be like, hang on, 
This has been going on months now. For months and months and months, insulin's been kicking off, making a lot of noise. I think he's maybe gone a little bit crazy, so I'm just going to ignore everything it says. We get to a point known as insulin resistance, where the cells just aren't as receptive to the insulin signal as they once were. So blood sugar gets higher and higher and higher as cells become less adept to actually taking that sugar in. And then we move, then you know, at that stage, we are what is known as pre diabetic. And if it still continues, then that elevated blood sugar, as well as increasing LDL cholesterol and triglycerides and weight gain and all of that kind of stuff, we start to get into a state of glucotoxicity, where the amount of glucose in circulation is becoming toxic to, t- to certain tissues, particularly the beta cells in the pancreas the cells that secrete insulin. When this happens, when these cells become dysfunctional due to glucotoxicity, that, my friends, is type 2 diabetes. Now, already, we, you know, we see this triad. There's, there's a condition that seems to be plaguing the Western world known as metabolic syndrome, where you get that triad of centralized weight gain, increased cardiovascular disease risk markers, and insulin-resistant stroke type 2 diabetes. And this can all be linked pretty much to excessive carbohydrates. Now, I am not bashing carbohydrates in any way, shape, or form. I eat them. But what we need to do is bring them back within a sensible range. So let's look at this pattern, for example. And this this isn't weird. This isn't abnormal. How many people would maybe start their day with a bowl of cereal and a slice of toast? Then maybe at lunchtime have a sandwich and a packet of crisps. Then in the evening have some, some pasta or some potatoes or anything like that. None of those foods are bad. None of those foods I'm demonizing here. The pattern of consumption is the issue. When you're eating that much starchy carbohydrate, you are pushing blood sugar up to levels that become unmanageable over time. You do that for one day and you know have a little blowout, which I tend to do on a Sunday, bring out the roast potatoes. It doesn't matter. It makes absolutely zero difference. If your entire life's diet is built like that, then it's a slightly different issue. So the first thing that you can do is bring your carbohydrates back down into into a sensible range. Start to build your meals more around proteins and healthy fats and non-starchy vegetables, like the non-starchy vegetables being the greens. And any carbohydrates that you do have, reduce the portion size drastically, build your diet around the non-starches, the proteins, the fats, and the carbs that you do have, make sure you go for the multigrain varieties. So brown rice over white, whole grain bread over white bread. You get the picture. So that's number one, blood sugar balance. You can see that already that can have a significant impact on a lot of the degenerative diseases that we see in the modern world today. Point number two was fatty acid balance. Now, anyone that's followed my work for any um, any length of time will know that I'm a little bit obsessed with fatty acids. I mean, maybe I need more of a social life. I don't know. Fatty acids. These are vitamin-like substances derived from fats, and they've got many key roles to play in the body, mainly, though, structural and communication roles. One of the big things that fatty acids influence is a group of communication compounds called prostaglandins. Now, prostaglandins are regulatory substances. They regulate certain aspects of pain signaling, muscular contraction, but the main thing that they regulate is the inflammatory response. We've got three different types of prostaglandin, a series one, series two, and series three. Series one is mildly anti-inflammatory. Series three is aggressively anti-inflammatory. But then series two, the one in the middle, 
That is aggressively pro. I don't have that information. That is aggressively pro-inflammatory. Sorry, Siri just went mad there. You've got to love that, haven't you? You've got to love it when um, your phone just goes crazy halfway through. Um, (laughs) Never mind. So I've just turned it off now. So the Series 2 prostaglandin, that is aggressively pro-inflammatory. Now, different types of fatty acids form different prostaglandins. And this is where this becomes an issue. Now, in that time when we were told to avoid saturated fat like the plague, in that time when we were told that we need to move over to the quote-unquote heart-healthy vegetable oils, problems started to arise. We were told to move over to things like sunflower oil and margarine and corn oil, canola oil, these kind of things, because they weren't saturated fats, they were obviously much more beneficial to the long-term cardiovascular health. Not true at all. Because the problem is, these particular types of fats and oils are composed almost entirely of omega-6 fatty acids. Now, with the essential fatty acids, there's two, omega-3 and omega-6. Both are essential But the amount of each that we need each day varies drastically. With omega-6, we do need a tiny little bit. We do need a little bit. It has important roles to play in neurological function and in hormonal function as well. So it is vital stuff. But the amount we need is very, very small. Once we take in an amount that goes beyond that small amount that we need, and that particular metabolic pathway that converts it and deals with it becomes saturated and full, any additional that we consume gets shuttled down a different pathway. And it's a pathway that gives rise to series two prostaglandins, these aggressively pro-inflammatory prostaglandins. And because of this advice that we were given to move away from saturated fat and instead build our diet around, you know, instead like use the heart-healthier oils, we're consuming up to 23 times more omega-6 per day in the UK than we actually need. So what does that mean? What does that actually translate into? Well, because we're ramping up the production of the Series 2 prostaglandins so aggressively, we're moving into a state of subclinical chronic inflammation. Subclinical means that you know your elbow just doesn't suddenly swell up instantly. You wouldn't be aware of this inflammatory load unless you actually had the right kind of blood test in case unless you had like a a c-reactive protein or erythrocyte sedimentation rate measured in a clinical setting then you would see raised inflammatory markers and chronic meaning this happens over long term and what's what's the problem with chronic inflammatory changes in tissues well for starters we know that cardiovascular disease is inherently an inflammatory condition we know that whether it's oxidated lipids whether it's trauma or whether it's just excessive insulin spikes inflammatory damage to the endothelium sets the whole cascade of events in place that gives rise to cardiovascular disease but one of the big ones and this isn't any kind of sensationalist statement here okay this isn't me kind of making strange claims this you will find in any pathology textbook this is basic a-level pathology okay long-term inflammatory changes in tissues can
can activate certain genes that could instigate cancer. It's as simple as that. So long-term subclinical inflammation in tissues does put us at massively greater risk of degenerative disease. But then also you've got inflammatory conditions, you know, arthritis and inflammatory skin conditions like acne and eczema that all can be exacerbated by an increased um, series 2 prostaglandin load. So bringing that down is a vital step towards better health. How do we do that? Really, really simply. For a start, cut out margarine, sunflower oil, any kind of regular vegetable oil, and instead just rely on Good old olive oil for cooking. The most dominant fatty acid in olive oil is oleic acid, omega-9, and that has no bearing on inflammatory markers whatsoever. It has got benefits for cardiovascular health in its own right. So that's the first thing. All the oils that you add to your food, be it olive oil, maybe a little bit of coconut oil for high temperature cooking. I'm not, you know, I'm not massively on that coconut oil bandwagon, but it, it has got its uses. That's the first step. The second step is to bring in the other of the essential fatty acids. Enter omega-3. Now, omega-3 is literally like the mirror opposite of omega-6, okay? Omega-3, particularly EPA and DHA, actually give rise to the anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. DHA will increase the production of the series 1 prostaglandins, so that's a mildly anti-inflammatory, and it will also give rise to something called a delta resolving, which helps to pull inflammation down. EPA, now that is the real magic bullet in this case, EPA, icosapentaenoic acid, this will actually feed into the pathway that produces the aggressively anti-inflammatory series 3 prostaglandin. So by reducing your intake of omega-6 from sources such as vegetable oil or margarine and increasing your intake of omega-3 from sources like oily fish or from a supplement, this is something I need to say for the vegans here, make sure you get a EPA and DHA supplement that's derived from algae. You will never, ever, 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 ever get enough from seeds because it just can't be converted in the body. But we'll, we'll do that in another podcast. By making these simple changes, bringing down your intake of omega-6, increasing your intake of omega-3 can massively reduce your risk of degenerative disease that arises from long-term subclinical inflammatory changes in tissues. Right. Okay, so now let's get on to uh, the final of the three keys, and that is nutrient density. This one, you know, there's, there's, there's not much more to it than the simple fact that we are in a ping and ding generation. We are in a generation that is living on convenience food, living on takeaways, living on a lot of junk. There's lots of reasons for that. It could be financial constraints, time constraints, um, lack of skill in the kitchen, no real desire to kind of make any healthy changes, whatever. The thing is, our intake of fresh food really isn't where it should be. And that's the one thing that you could do to, to, to make a huge difference already. It's like commit to increasing your intake of fresh foods, fresh plant foods particularly. Whether it's like making sure you have one good home-cooked meal a week, a week, a day, um, or one good salad-based meal a day, whatever. Increasing your intake of fresh plant foods is vital because of the micronutrient load that these foods have. The micronutrients, these are the vitamins, minerals, trace elements, phytochemicals, these kinds of things. Why do these matter? Well, let's look at what these nutrients are, the vitamins and the minerals. These are biochemical facilitators. 
That basically means that they either make something happen or they make something that makes something happen. They are vital for virtually every single biochemical response in your body that you can imagine. I mean, let's look at magnesium. Magnesium is involved in over 1,000 different enzymatic reactions in your body. 1,000. And it's one of the most commonly deficient nutrients in the UK. You know why? Because the main source is green vegetables. And who sits down and chows down on greens very often? Not many people. So something as simple as getting as much fresh produce in at any given opportunity will ramp up your intake of these micronutrients. And then a good daily multivitamin is always a good idea for everyone. So look, hopefully that's given you some kind of insight into steps that you can take today that can make a big difference. And I'll summarize them again. Number one, bring carbohydrates right, 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 right down in terms of the actual starchy carbohydrates. Any carbohydrates that you go for, opt for multigrain, whole grain versions, but really focus on building each meal around good quality proteins, healthy fats, and non-starchy vegetables. Number two, decrease your intake of omega-6 by cutting out margarine, vegetable oil, sunflower oil, all of that kind of nonsense. Just cook with a bit of olive oil, sometimes coconut oil for high temperature stuff. And then increase your intake of omega-3 by eating loads of oily fish or taking a good quality supplement. And if you want a good quality supplement, you're looking for around about 750 milligrams of EPA, 250 milligrams of DHA. And then the final thing, get yourself a good quality multivitamin and use every single meal as an opportunity to bring in as much fresh, minimally processed plant foods with as many different colors as you possibly can to give yourself that nutrient density. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your ears. If you want your question answered here on the podcast, that's one of the main things that I want to achieve with this. So if you want me to answer one of your questions, then drop me an email. The email address is dale at themedicinalchef.co.uk and just put podcast somewhere in the title of your email. Send me your question and I will get it answered. If you want to find out more about me, more about my work, then just head over to themedicinalchef.co.uk and see what I'm up to over there. Also, if you want to take your nutritional knowledge deeper, if you want to really, really get into the nitty gritty and have me coach you every single month and join my classes, I run a program called Nutrition Coaching Monthly. This is live, interactive teaching every single month. We've got a great community there. If you head over to my website, you can see more information about that. So my friends, until next time, see you later.